you may have been, you may have come in and you sung a song or two, depending on when you got here, and then we had this Belgic confession thing, this ancient reformed, you know, 16th century uh, creed confession that we said together, and you may have been wondering, it was about the government of the church that God has ordained, that he's given deacons and he's given elders or pastors, um, otherwise called bishops in other churches, to to the church to oversee and to shepherd. And that this might have seemed a bit stiff. It may have seemed a bit not in line with what we normally um, um, say or profess, although we believe it. But um, as, you, as we continued to, to worship and we read, Nathaniel read this text, it's a text on elders. It's a text on pastoring the church. It's a text on, on that, that gift and that office and that responsibility and that, and that burden, if I can say that, um, and that privilege. And... Um, all that to say, if you've been with us for any amount of time, and I'm looking and I see maybe one, one here that might, is the first time visitor, and we're, you're, you're thrice welcome, but the rest of you know, we've been in Acts for, does anyone, I mean, I've lost count. Does anyone know how long we've been in the book of Acts? I mean, it's been, I feel like it's been over a year. Um, and so we're, we're nearing the end. We're in chapter 20. We're going to finish by, I think, August 1st, God willing. But we did not plan this is simply the next text. I mean, last week it was, in our house churches, it was Acts 20, first half of 20, 1 through 16. So now, this week, we're here. We did not plan for this to be, this text to be lined up with the Sunday that we were to bring these men uh, in front of the church. And what happens here is, so for 18 plus months, we've been walking in a candidacy with them toward eldership, and we've been walking through the book of Acts. And what happens here? that we'll dig into a little bit, is that Paul is finishing his third missionary journey. And he's trying to get, he's going back through the churches and just giving them touches. These churches that he's helped plant, where he's discipled people, where he's in some cities stayed for two plus years to preach the gospel and teach five hours a day, and all of Asia heard the gospel because of the fact that he stayed in Ephesus, for instance. And so he, he loves these people. There's a lot of tears here. Uh, and he knows that if he goes back on his way back toward Jerusalem, if he goes back into Ephesus, for instance, which is where the text is today in Miletus, which is an island just off of, off of uh, close to, it's close to Ephesus. I, I said island, I believe it is. It's right on the coast either way. He's in a boat. He knows if he goes back in, hint, into the hinterland a bit to Ephesus, he won't be able to pull himself out. Because the message that he has for him is, I, the Holy Spirit has told me through countless believers I have to go back to Jerusalem. I want to get there before Pentecost, which is 50 days after uh, Passover. But people have told me don't go back because imprisonment awaits you there and possibly death. So scholars are pretty much agreed that probably what Paul thinks is going to happen, he's toward the end of his life, is that he's going to go die in Jerusalem like every prophet. He's going to go die in Jerusalem like Jesus. And what does he say? Does he shirk that? Does he bucket that? Does he say, I'm headed the other way? I'm going to Tarshish, which is in Spain? No. He says, I'm ready for it. I've run the race, and I'm headed back there, and whatever awaits me, awaits me. Okay, he's, he's, no, he's no masochist, but, but he's headed back to Jerusalem. So what he does here, the whole text is on Paul bringing the elders of Ephesus from the church in Ephesus out to Miletus as he's on the ship to kind of give them a farewell, some last, uh, I'll never see you again. I'll never see your face again in, in this life. Um, you know, on this side of the new heavens and the new earth. 
And, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of tears that are cried at that. And so he gives them final instructions on what eldership looks like and, and the privilege that it is and the burden um, to, be, to be a pastor in Christ church. And so this is the, he's speaking to the church, but he's speaking specifically to elders. And this is the only time in the book of Acts that Paul uh, speaks, has a speech to Christians. It's the only time. And so, and it just happens to be in God's providence. That's what I was building to. In God's providence, as we've been for 12 plus months walking through Acts, this Sunday, I mean, I basically started weeping when I realized this in preparation for this. This Sunday, as we bring these elders, these candidates, elders to be, God willing, in front of you and say, consider them, pray for them. We want to ordain them, God willing, in, in uh, 30 days. Uh, the text is all about Paul speaking directly to the elders and saying, this is the importance of this office. It's not something I've made up. It's something God has ordained. And there are elders in every church for a reason, for you to care for the flock, for you to preach the gospel, for you to bring discipline as is in any healthy family and so on, for you to lay your lives down. And so the two takeaways, at least that I've gotten from that are one, okay, I didn't plan this. God did. He's, he's with us. He's with us in all, I think it was said earlier somehow, he's with us, his hand is over us, he's reigning, he's superintending all things, he's the sovereign, he's the only sovereign. Satan is his puppet. He's in control, he has all power. Yet he's in the details and he's with us here in this ordering where he's going, this is from me, elders are appointed by me, and I'll get into this in a second, through others in the church that I've appointed to care for my flock. It's my flock, it's not yours. Take care of them. I've given you elders, I've given you deacons to do that. So it's from God, and God is with us. And I feel like he's patting us on the back going, or he has a, his arm around our shoulder, or he's in the yoke with us, right? In the oxen yoke with us, pulling with us, saying, I'm with you. This is important. You've been building up to this for 18 plus months and really for five years, been looking for men, selecting men, training men, but I, I'm the one who's selecting them. I'm the one who's calling them. They're shepherding my church. And that's essentially the sermon, but I just wanted to give you that context because it's beautiful. It's really encouraging to me. Um, God is with us here in this little hotel room that Justin reminded us isn't a hotel room anymore. It's a holy place because you are the temple of the living God, if indeed you're in Christ and he's here in you. And, and also, um, this is the only time that Paul speaks to Christians in Acts, and so you're going to pick up resonances, and I'm probably not going to get as into it as I was um, as I listen to the Lord and try to, try to sense what he's, what he's saying this morning, but um, it's, the, it's the text, it's the speech that sounds the most like Paul's letters, that kind of fill out like the rest of the New Testament. Um, because who is he writing the letters to in the church, in the uh, New Testament? Who are those letters to? Somebody said it, but you whispered it. Shout it out to me. Come on, give me a call back. The church, right? Not to uh, pagans, not to Jews. Some Jews that have believed on Christ and they're fulfilled Jews, right? But he's writing to the church in his letters and he's contending for the faith and he's reminding, reminding them of the how do we then live because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus? This speech sounds a lot like that. That's the reason. And so, last thing I'll say before jumping in. So what I'm gonna do here is I'm really, I'm speaking directly 
to Nathaniel and to Justin. Justin, where are you? Over there. And I'm charging you through Paul, through the living God, by, with the word of the living God. But I'm in speaking to you. The rest of you are sort of overhearing, but this is for the church. So indeed, I'm speaking to everyone here. Um, but I'm particular Nathaniel and, and Justin. And I think what I'm going to do here is I have a few pages. I, know, I don't normally preach line by line, but for some reason, I, that's what I was prepared to do today is just to go line by line through this rich text and to talk about what it, the, the responsibilities of an elder and then the gospel that's delineated and what Paul says to the church. Um, but I think that what I'm going to do instead is I'll probably record that message tomorrow just if any of you want more meat. But I think I'm going to, I'm just going to um, put four points in front of you. Four, I think they're going to be brief. I've, I've, that's come back to bite me pretty much every time I've said that. Yes, yes. Chuckle, chuckle. Um, it'll certainly be briefer than line by line. Uh, there's so much goodness here. But let me just start with this. Um, as an elder, Nathaniel, Justin, church, as an elder, we see here in, with Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders that you are, you are serving God not primarily the people. You are serving the people, but first and foremost, you're serving, you're serving God. Um, Paul talks about serving the Lord in verse 19. I'll just read it. Acts 20, verse 19 says, um, in verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul wasn't as an elder, as an apostle. So part of this is Paul's an apostle speaking to the elders, but I'm applying all this a little bit, I don't think unfairly, but I'm taking a bit of liberty with the text. I'm applying all this to elders. I think Paul acted as an elder as well as an apostle, right? Um, he, he, he's saying, I wasn't an elder that was above you. I wasn't an elder that you couldn't find. I wasn't an elder that was hard. You had to fight through multiple uh, walls, barriers, as it were, to get to. Typically, when someone has the more power and more wealth in this world, they're harder and harder to get to. Paul was accessible. Who else um, had a lot of power but was super accessible? Jesus. In every way we see as Paul goes through this litany, he's, he's saying that the elder is to reflect Jesus himself because the spirit of the living God lives inside of him. And he's to look like Jesus and he's to act like Jesus and he's to shepherd like Jesus for Jesus. Um, but you're serving primarily. So Paul was super accessible. He said, I lived among you. But what does he say after that? He said, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And we'll get to the tears and trials part. But what I want to pick up on for this first point is that Nathaniel and Justin, it's easy in the pastoral ministry to lose sight of the fact that we are serving the Lord first in this ministry and really to start serving people. And when that happens, the power goes the power goes because fear of man sets in and it's something that you have to fight against daily and it's something we have to remind ourselves of daily and it's something Paul reminds um, himself of in the Ephesian elders of right here. We are serving, when we serve Christ's flock, we're serving Christ first. We're, this is a charge that is not only given to you by the Lord, but is for the Lord, is for the Lord. And, and so he's the one, and he's the one that you'll answer to. He's the one that you answer to. But when you serve his church, um, you serve him. And I, and I think this goes way down deep into Paul's bones. This is super autobiographical. Why do I say that? What else in Acts lets us know about, about this, about the fact that Paul understands that when he serves the church, when the church is served, the Lord is served, right? Yeah, and the road to Emmaus, his own autobiography, his own journey of coming to faith, of literally getting knocked off of his beast of burden on that 
rocky road, that dusty road to Emmaus. And Jesus came to him and he says, and Paul was throwing, his name was Saul at the time. Jesus changed his name. Jesus has a way of changing names because he's our daddy. Right? <laughs> what did I say? Emmaus. Thank y'all. Man, when you're preaching, you don't hear yourself sometimes and it's just scary. Thank you. Damascus. When Saul was on the road, I just going to cut me off. Like, you're done. <laughs> you're done here. Yeah, I saw Casey tap, tap Peter in the back. Like, that's okay. There aren't that many people here. I can... Press the button. Where? On, oh, here? On this thing? Oh, here we go. We're back. We're back, friends. Oh, I can shout. I don't need amplification. Um, I'll take it, though. When Paul was on that road, not to Emmaus, he may have been on the road to Emmaus at some point. When he was on the road to Damascus, he was throwing Christians in prison. He had letters from the Jewish authorities to do so, and he was at least an accomplice to murdering Christians and very happy about it and thinking he was in the service of God. I think about Kabul. You guys may have read that this morning. I saw it in a headline as I was heading here. Um, actually, it was out in the lobby on a screen, but a, you know, I must have been a suicide bomber in Kabul uh, right outside of a girl's school, 50 dead. I mean, just those men think that they are doing God uh, service. They think that they are serving God, but they are serving Satan. And indeed, Paul, in throwing the children of the living God in prison was serving Satan. He thought he was serving God. Jesus confronts him, which is what happens whenever anyone steps into the light, whenever anyone is brought from death to life, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of our Lord, whenever that happens, what happens is an encounter with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ who is God. And this is what happened to Paul. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say my church. He takes it personally. Why? Because I think the heart of this text, we're jumping ahead here, what Paul says to the elders, he says, he purchased the church with his own blood. He gave his life for her. What every husband is to do for his wife, when you stand up there on that altar and you basically say, yeah, me for you, I'm committed to you until death parts us. We are one flesh. I will lay down my life for you every day. In the days that I don't, in the smallest ways, in the days that I don't, God forgive me. I want to repent and I want to hold to these vows. Jesus is the perfect husband. And when you touch his bride, you touch him. And when you serve his bride, you serve him. And so the first thing is, friends, I just want to say, you're serving God. You're serving God. Um, and it's God indeed, and this is all through this text. It's God who's called you. I haven't called you. I'm saying primarily. This church hasn't called you primarily. Sojourn Houston hasn't called you primarily. Acts 29, of whom we're members, hasn't called you primarily. Although God has used all of these men and women to call you. It is God who has called you to this office. And he's reminded us of that in the sweetest of ways by just in our year-long journey through Acts, in our 18-month journey to appoint you guys as elders, he's caused, he's given us this text, this only time in the book of Acts, this needle in a haystack where Paul addresses elders, where Paul addresses Christians, and it's to the elders, and it's to you, and he's saying to you, I'm calling you to this it matters immensely to me. It's not a man-made office. My people need shepherding. Shepherd my people. 
And so a corollary from that point too is that the church is his, not yours. Again, I kind of just preached this point, which is fine, which is one of the reasons I think these points are going to be brief, but we'll see. Time will tell. The church is his, not yours. So you're serving him, you're called by him, and he bought it with his own blood. He laid his life down for it. I I think I can say nothing is more precious to him. Where is history headed? History is headed toward a wedding feast. With us, the church, and any miserable, lost sinner who comes to him and says, Jesus, you died for me. Jesus, you came for me. Jesus, you did what I couldn't do and places their faith in him. That, at that instant, they are born again, cleansed through the blood of Jesus, filled with his spirit and drawn to him and made his children. It's an inheritance that we receive by faith. You can't earn it. This is us. This is the church. This is anyone who will come to him and it's his. He paid the highest price for it. I think of the words of Justin, it's appropriate, right? That I'm, that I'm quoting Justin, who um, is a candidate and soon to be an elder, God willing. And elder, elder. I mean, we've all, it's just, it bears repeating. It's, it's funny. God has a sense of humor. I love it. And names, names have power. But Justin uh, likes to say, most of you have probably heard him say this at least once, because uh, whatever he says, Whatever he says, he likes saying typically. And whatever he says, because he likes saying it and because he is Tom Bombadil, if you haven't read Lord of the Rings, circle back to that. It's not in the movie. Um, he, uh, he just, he'll say a thousand times. But one of the things I've heard him say a few times is, um, you know somebody's worth by the, by the price that somebody's willing to pay for it. You know, you know the worth of something by the price that someone is willing to pay for it. And Jesus shows us, can I say, confers on us an infinite worth by giving of his infinite self completely. He didn't hold anything back. He showed us how much was required to save us and how egregious our sin is and how far uh, we fall short of his glory when we sin and rebel against him and shake our fists in his face and how self-absorbed we are. So it's not because of some beauty in us. It's because he chose to love us and to set his love upon us through no good of our own and to make us beautiful through his love. And he gave all of himself, body and soul. On the cross, when you read about it, all you can see is basically the physical stuff, the suffering, the lacerations, the punching in the face, the humiliation, the nails, the pulling yourself up on the spikes and you're, you're just struggling to breathe for hours and hours and hours. But we see indications of something far worse don't we? All of creation is literally groaning and bruised and shutting down because its maker is hanging on a cross dying for us. Because he's not just paying for our sins, he's bearing an old order. And he's starting something that's free from the power of sin. And that's where we're headed, if indeed we are in him. And he gave all of himself for you. And that's how loved you are, and that's how worthwhile you are. And so I was just having someone pray for me earlier and confessing, I know that up here, I want you to listen to me. I know that up here, but to, to live in such a way that it sinks down here and possesses us and we, we live out of what we know to be true, my worth isn't tied to my performance. Your worth is not tied to your performance. Your worth is tied to what Christ paid for you. That's him. You are worth what he is worth. He sees, God the Father sees his son when he sees you and he's making you into the image of Jesus. And yes, he will finish that work. He will finish it. Not because of your strength, because of his. And you can rest in that. And you can feel truly 
completely loved in that. And he is making you lovable. And there's nothing you can do if indeed you trust in Jesus. And even that trust is something he's given you as a gift or wants to give you if you're still struggling, if you haven't trusted in him. Um, but he, is, he won't stop until uh, you are fully beautiful and he loves you. And he loves you as you are and he's making you as his son is. And so um, the church is his not yours, and he loves it. And so Nathaniel and, and Justin, just to bring it back in this second point and, and move to the third, um, just remember that. Let's, remem- let's remember each other. Let's remind each other of that as we serve, that um, the church isn't ours. We're stewards. I remember uh, hearing a long time ago, um, Matt Chandler was preaching, and he said, I was, I was, it was after hours, and I was at the village, which is his, his I say his church, and and uh, to, to tip my hat at where I'm headed. And he was like there with his oldest daughter at the time, I think, and they were um, just going to get something in his office. And he said something about my church. And his daughter, who was like seven or five at the time, was like, Dad, she just brought him up cold. She's like, Dad, it's not your church. And so he says this from the pulpit, and uh, it's a great confession. And it's something that's easy to slip into as a pastor, as an elder, as a bishop as a servant of Christ and of his church, that, that hey, this is, I don't, I, don't, I don't even like saying, you hear it, it's easy in parlance to say, we're going to church. No, we are the church. The church is gathering to worship. It's easy to say, uh, yeah, my church, I'm a pastor. What, what's your church? My church is, but even that, words have power, I try to stay away from that. It's not my church. It's not my church. God's called me to serve his church. Um, and so, and we'll never do it perfectly, but he's the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the great shepherd of the sheep, and, and he will, give us what we need as we point people to him. Um, and, that's our, and that's a corollary, but that's our work too, isn't it? It's not to point people to us. Even as I stand up here, the Puritans of old would wear black robes, not because they were dour, not because they had no sense of humor. They would wear black robes because they didn't want the focus to be on them. They were trying to erase themselves. They said, God is seen with the ear. I want, I want to preach Christ in such a way that he is lifted high and he gets the glory and he is the hero. And I'm just here as his servant, preaching out his word, lifting up the cross, talking about the kingdom that's coming through his resurrection. He's the hero. He's the archegon of our faith. He's the captain. He, he paid for the church with his own blood. And yes, he reigns now. And the father is making of all things a footstool, of all his enemies a footstool for his feet. And so it's about, it's about him. Also, point three, scattered broadcast throughout this text. Paul is literally, literally embodying this point is that you will suffer. You will suffer as an elder. You will suffer as a pastor. It's not an easy ministry. What does Paul say? It's like night and day I was among you with tears through trials. I mean, you can go to 2 Corinthians, is it chapter 8 and just read, or 10, and just read about the litany of things that Paul went through for the gospel to shepherd God's people. Not a day goes by, did he, he says, that I wasn't anxious for the churches. I lost sleep. Um, the things that Christ calls us into, the things that he goes into. Think about how much Christ suffered and how much he condescended to enter into our muck and filth and mess and sin in the bed that we have made for ourselves. And he took it upon himself and into himself and he buried it and he nailed it to the cross and he rose. And that's, he, he calls us to pick up our crosses and to follow him as Christians. But as shepherds, he calls us in a special way to his suffering, to, to serve the sheep. And it's when you are not giving the sheep what they want, but what they need, that they are often most upset with you. 
Man, you know, making my kids eat vegetables, they're never as happy as when I give them a bowl of ice cream, which we did last night, and I was the hero. And I like doing that because mom is a little more stingy with the ice cream because she's fast way to fat loss, and she's healthier, and she's fitter, and daddy gives them the ice cream. But daddy gets the points. But, but, so when, but, but that's not so good for them. When I'm giving them the vegetables, they're hating on me. But it's so good for them. If they don't have vegetables, they're going to get scurvy or something. Right? All you adults, some of you adults need to hear that. Eat your greens. But when we, you will often have to do things for the sheep. They will leave the church. They will say bad things about you. They will make your life harder. The hard stuff is oftentimes the stuff we need to be doing. There are joys. Oh, brothers, there are so many exalted, wonderful joys. Such a privilege. And oftentimes it's wonderful. But man, it can get stinky. And there are tears and there are, there's sweat. Um, I think of Winston Churchill and how he said, I have nothing in his, first, in his maiden speech as prime minister in 1940 when uh, the Nazis were just ravaging Europe. He said, what, I have nothing to give. Seth, give it to us. I have nothing to give but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. This is the line of the pastor. This is the line of the elder. This is the line of the shepherd, of the bishop. And it's not our, it's not our ambition to go high. Jesus is plan and ambition was to go to the lowest place, and he calls us there. He calls us, make it your ambition, elder, to go low. Make it your ambition, as one of my mentors says, to pursue obscurity. Honestly, truth talk time, one of the reasons I like house church is because it's the death of me being up here in front of you guys. I miss it, but I'm not in front. I'm not talking. That's good for me. Kill, your, kill, kill the flesh. Let your brothers kill it. Let me kill it. You kill mine. Let your sheep kill it. Let the Lord kill it. This is a flesh-killing assignment that you're on. And there is a reward. There is a great reward that will be given to you eye to eye by your maker and king and redeemer. And that's the last thing that I guess I want to say point four is that your work is worthwhile. This kind of sounds like a Debbie Downer glum. It's not. It's not. A new creation's coming, and Christ is, he is the foundation stone of his church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, and he has called you to this, and God willing, one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and our privilege is to serve, to shine, to wash the feet of, to get down in the muck and the mud. Our privilege is to equip, not to do all the work, is to equip. Uh, the saints, the church, to do the work of the ministry. Um, let me just finish with something that is, is related to all this, but I don't know where it fits exactly because I had these notes and I didn't really do these notes, and that's okay. But um, just I think it's something good to leave you with, and that is if I, if I could leave you with one word, and I will here, I would just say more than anything, remember, so much of this has been about, you know, it's his church, not yours. It's his call. He's the one who's called you, not, not, not even I. It's not I who have called you. It's, it's Christ through me and through this church. It's him you're serving and not the church, you know, primarily. Um, but in the mix of all that is, is this. The ministry is not the work. It, ministering to the sheep of God, 
and the good work of the ministry is not the primary work you've been called to. If I can leave you with this. The primary work you've been called to is resting in the finished work of Christ and adoring him. And adoring him and loving him and being a lover of him. You know, uh, Mother Teresa, she said there was a prayer that she had. Well, there was a comment and a prayer. The comment was something like, somebody said basically, how do you do it? And she said, every day I drop my bucket into the deep well of Jesus. And her prayer was, Jesus, I want to love you like you've never been loved. Your top priority, your top focus, and if you lose this, I think you lose it all. So God help us here. Because so much of the ministry demands your focus on the ministry, but your first gaze needs to be on Jesus himself. And this really comes out of Paul saying, pay careful attention to the flock. He says that, but before that he says, pay careful attention, elders, to what? Yourself. Satan's crosshairs will be on you, and one of the ways will be that subtle move to getting your eyes onto men. And you will die there. Focus on Jesus. Be a lover of Jesus. Let him love you. Before loving him, be loved. Rest in his all-sufficient love for you. Um, so my mentor, he, he says he has a staff values. And let me just read from the first two. The first staff value, this is people that he pays to do real work, 10 hours a day, eight hours a day. Our focus is on loving Jesus. That's the first staff value. This is our priority, not doing things for Jesus, but loving Jesus. He doesn't need you to do things for him, by the way. Isn't that a good amen? Can I get an amen? Okay, good. Not doing things for Jesus, but loving Jesus. Worshippers of Jesus, not workers for Jesus. Workers for Jesus comes out of worshipers for Jesus, right? We do work for him. We do toil for him. The best thing you can bring here is your passion for Jesus. He says, we, make, we must make sure our hearts are tender for Jesus. If our hearts grow cold, we're in trouble. The Revelation 2 church. I know your works and patience, Jesus says to the church. I have this against you, though. You've abandoned your first love. This can happen. It's what my mentor calls an occupational hazard. Getting up in front of people and getting all full of yourself, occupational hazard. Getting focused on the ministry and having that become your mistress instead of Jesus first and your wife second, occupational hazard. Let's always be putting that in front of each other. We may think that our ministry for Jesus will automatically grow out of a heart for Jesus. Not so. We have to be focused on it. Um, If we're not focused on loving Jesus, then our ministry is to some extent phony. If we focus on activities for Jesus and not Jesus himself, our heart will will grow cold. We will become angry and weary and burned out. And our ministry will lack spiritual power. Jesus, he is the great shepherd of the sheep, as we'll say together in closing this time um, today. He has called you to this. The church is his. It will involve suffering and joy. It is a worthy work, and you will receive a reward from the lover of your souls. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. Church, I love you. God bless you. And... Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for laying your life down for us. I, what else can I say except thank you? Thank you for not needing anything from us, for being an overflowing fountain of life and love and 
beauty and goodness and for making us good and for absorbing and taking all of our badness and rebellion and perversion and loneliness and darkness and alienation and depression and on and on and on it goes, our brokenness and the brokenness of this creation and absorbing it and becoming it on the cross and even being abandoned by your father so that we could be brought in close and for building your church so that the gates of hell indeed will not overcome it, not because of our competencies, God forbid, but because you finished the work and indeed you are interceding for us and you're with us. We love you, we bless you. Thank you for being the reigning king who gave it all for us. Thank you for giving us your body and your blood. Thank you for your church. Thank you for officers in your church. Thank you for Nathaniel and Justin. We bless them in Jesus' name, for your glory, for the furtherance of your kingdom. Amen.